This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. The 76ers have built one of the NBA's best and deepest front office staffs. It's all led by general manager Elton Brand. Also now in his fourth season with the 76ers is Alex Rucker. His title is Executive Vice President Basketball Operations, and he's responsible for the overall strategy and day-to-day management of analytics, scouting, player development, athlete care, and the coaching staff. Rucker, who grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, has a diverse background, one rooted in education on many levels. This episode of Tom's Talks gives us insight into the 76ers' front office as we hear from Alex Rucker. Hello and welcome to another edition of Tom's Talks, and we're joined by a member of the 76ers' front office. Alex Rucker is the 76ers' executive vice president of basketball operations and uh, Alex thank you so much for for joining us how are you doing today doing fantastic Tom uh, basketball's back yesterday so there's uh, some joy in my life again um, but no thank you thank you for having me it's an honor you just celebrated a birthday it got lost in the shuffle a little bit with Ben Simmons birthday but a belated birthday wish thanks sir a lot of Sixers birthdays of late with Tobias Harris and Mike Scott and Alec Burks yourself and and Ben Simmons are all celebrating together down there in the bubble. That was nice to see. Yeah, no, it's been great. So as we speak, the scrimmages just started. And I got to tell you, it, it looked fantastic. I mean, you know, understatement, but the league is pulling this off. They've done an incredible job, the NBA, and player safety, staff safety, creating the bubble, and now scrimmages and soon games. I thought it was just fantastic to watch that initial day of scrimmages. Yeah, agreed. No, it's, I think there's, there's definitely been a void in my life for the last few months uh, as we've kind of navigated this COVID uh, and, you know, having basketball 
back on our TV screens, you know, back on the radio, I think it's, it's an important part of kind of societal fabric, something that brings us together. And I, I'm so happy to be, you know, watching basketball, seeing clips on Twitter, you know, it's just, it's fantastic. Well, you bring me to a point that maybe I was going to bring up later, but you love game day. My image of you is walking in, no coat. You grew up in Canada. It's 25 degrees. You have no coat, but it's game day. And that is your, you just love game day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, my, my father, you know, when I was young, kind of gave me the, the advice I think a lot of people get is, you know, find something you love and find a way to get people to pay you to do it. Um, you know, and I, and I love, love, love basketball. And so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really easy in, the, in this life working for a team to get caught up in the grind and the stress and all that. But if you don't love the actual thing, if you don't love watching practice and love watching games and love watching scrimmages, uh, I just like, it's, I don't know why you would choose to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, I know the, the second that, you know, you get to the arena and then there's the people and then the vibe and everything else. It's just, it, it's so kind of fulfilling and rewarding uh, for me. Couldn't agree more. Hopefully we'll have that uh, in the weeks and months to come. And we're going to get into that a little bit because you had a session with a San Francisco lawyer many years ago that said, it sounds like you really love basketball. You probably should go into that. But we'll talk about that in a moment because you have a great uh, uh, background, very intriguing to me and certainly in the education realm. But let's talk a little bit about the 76ers in the bubble. Many of the staff members are still back with you in Philadelphia at the training facility. You could only bring a party that numbered 37 and obviously 15 of those were players. But what do you think about as you get ready, as the Sixers take on the Grizzlies and their scrimmage, Oak City, and, and I like that, and eventually that first seeding game against the Indiana Pacers? Yeah, so I mean, our, our focus for the last three, four weeks, and as you said yesterday, the, the scrimmages yesterday were, it was, I felt a really high level of basketball uh, for being day one after a multi-month layoff, uh, certainly higher than you would expect to see in the normal course kind of after the offseason. Uh, and I think our focus organizationally has very much been on delivering healthy, in-shape players uh, with emphasis on the healthy, obviously, given what's going on in the world. And so, you know, El Elton's focus and directive and what we have all been focused on as a staff has been that, right? Let's, let's do everything we can to keep our players safe. And a lot of times that's involved, you know, putting the brakes on things, being more slow, more deliberate, uh, more safety and cost oriented. But so far, we, you know, knock on wood, uh, our Teams have been looking great in training uh, in kind of this abbreviated training camp leading into scrimmages. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what they look like tomorrow. It should be really good. So let's talk about uh, Elton Brand. He's the general manager. He leads a group, a great group uh, with yourself and, and Ned Cohen and Vince Rosman and, and any number, Rob Newsman, any number of people. Uh, Elton was a great player, 17-year career a high character guy, tough, strong, smart. What's he been like a leader for your group and this team? Yeah. So, uh, so I obviously came to the organization, uh, I think four years ago uh, and, you know, met Elton right away. And that was when Elton was transitioning away from playing to sort of a, a front office apprenticeship type role. Uh, Brian Colangelo had hired him uh, to do kind of a, a general, you know, kind of apprenticeship. And then he assumed a G league position as the general manager down there. Uh, and I think that, you know, so I got to know him as a colleague uh, for the first couple of years and was just really impressed by his inquisitiveness. Like he asked a lot of questions, was clearly an active listener and like absorbing all the information. 
Uh, and then when I engage with him privately, like just really wise, really thoughtful in how you approach things. Uh, obviously, two years ago, uh, Josh Harris, David Blitzer made a choice to elevate him to general manager. And, you know, looking back, I think it was a really inspired selection. Just And again, I'm openly biased, right? Uh, one of the first things Elton did was promote me to my current position. And, you know, he's he's an incredible leader, right? Just incredibly thoughtful, incredibly perceptive, incredibly bright, asks really tough questions, pushes us as an exec group uh, every day. But I value that. Like, I want to be pushed. I want to be questioned. And he does that. And just kind of his feel for players, his feel for coaches, his feel for other execs. It's been just fantastic watching him operate and kind of a privilege to help, you know, implement his vision across the organization. And you do that on a daily basis because, as you say, Elton Brand has a huge portfolio. I mean, there are so many areas that he's responsible for in his role as general manager. Yeah. And you're, my, my phrase, but kind of the boots on the ground with the scouting, with players, with the players, the coaching staff. And, and life goes on. Our NBA schedule has been altered, but there will be a draft. The season will begin anew, a full season, the 21-22 campaign, whether that's in December or whenever that occurs. And granted, there's been a hiatus, and now here comes action, which is the focus as well as should be. But you've got a lot on your plate. Kind of explain everything that you oversee right underneath Elton Brand. Sure. So kind of within, within the broader basketball operations umbrella, you have those elements, right? So you've got the, obviously the team and the coaching staff that works directly with them and for them. Um, then you've got kind of the two primary player support departments, uh, athlete care, sort of our medical performance group, and then player development, uh, which is our development coaches, our G League program, uh, team security, a few other things. So like those are all the staff members that support at the end of the day, our players. Uh, and so that group, and then on kind of one layer further removed, you've got the scouting department, as you mentioned, and then our research and development department with analytics. Um, so that's all in all about 80, 90 people uh, in basketball ops. And, you know, so you've got Elton, obviously, who, who's in charge, the general manager, the man. Um, and a, a friend of mine uh, in the hockey world actually mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that, you know, as you look back on 20 years ago and you look at the responsibility of front office 20 years ago compared to now, it's just so much more complex. There are so many more stakeholders, so many more responsibilities. One person, the, the, the kind of the, 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 the dictator GM of 20 years ago, I don't think that can happen anymore. It's just so much more complex, the world that we live in. So, so you see a lot more um, kind of diffuse, specialized front offices in a lot of ways. Uh, and so, again, it involves a lot of coordination, a lot of collaboration between us internally, with the business side, with our media partners, with fans, uh, with the community. So my job is sort of, again, make sure that Elton's vision is implemented as he intends, and then involves a lot of kind of grunt work. But yeah, to your point, the last three months, certainly it's been unusual and unprecedented, uh, the hiatus. But yeah, the pre-draft work has continued apace. Uh, you know, we've had, it was a period of first three months where we were having, I think, three or four scouting meetings a day, uh, virtually, of course, as we all transitioned to the Zoom lifestyle. Uh, and then kind of overlaid with that would have been the off-season preparation. Uh, we didn't know for a period of time if we were going to hit the off-season or we're going to get more games. Um, and now we're looking at this compressed, which will be exciting, <laughs> off-season uh, once we get through the, the playoffs. And obviously, that's the real focus day-to-day. But we're also having to prepare for the draft in October, free agency in October, and, and then the resumption of next season uh, in October, November. So, 
when you were talking about preparing for the draft, I, I talked to a number, another uh, team scouting, one of the scouts, and they had to do a lot of these Zoom meetings with prospective draftees, players, over Zoom, like typically what you might do in Chicago or you might bring a, a young player in. Uh, did you guys have to do that as well? Yeah, so uh, the league, uh, I want to say it was about two months ago, uh, don't, don't pin me down on the date, but uh, opened up the door and said, yeah, you can do prospect interviews now. So uh, we were doing a really rigorous uh, schedule of that up until fairly recently. So, you know, probably a few times a week, I would be on Zoom calls with, you know, six, eight, ten people uh, to include a, a draft prospect. And you do, it's interesting. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's really about what happens on the basketball court. But I think we all know that as you look at an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, it's so difficult to kind of read the tea leaves. And I think you want to get as much information as you can. The chance to talk to a guy, even if it is Zoom, uh, I think has a lot of value. So we definitely talked to a whole bunch of uh, potential Sixers uh, over the last few weeks. Speaking of those interviews, and this is when it struck me that, boy, Elton Brand is perfect for this. And this goes back a few years. Probably he was at that time with the Delaware Bluecoats, as we know he served as general manager there, but he went on those meetings in Chicago. And, uh, you know, as a former player and, and knowing uh, the whole athlete mindset, and just as you say, asking tough questions. When somebody said, a media member asked him, you know, what, what's your role in that? And, you know, he talked about being very direct with these prospects. Who's coming with you? Do you have a, a posse. I mean, he was asking, like, what's your support system? And kind of a blunt question that really from an athlete, from a former NBA star, two-time All-Star, that, that matters to get to the core of some of the questions when you're speaking about character, what you might expect from a particular athlete, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I've spent the bulk of my life studying basketball, right? Like, I'm a student of the game. Uh, Elton lived it. Right. I mean, he was an NBA all-star. He was in the NBA for nearly 20 years, you know, playing an exceptionally high level and then suffering an injury and, and then kind of kind of experiencing that. So like, he's sort of experienced the full spectrum of what it means to be an NBA player uh, top to bottom. So he's much better positioned to know the right questions to ask, to ask them and frankly, to get the answers. Right. Uh, I mean, Elton Brand asking a question of a 19 to 21 year old is a very different thing than Alex Rucker or Vince Rosman or Nick Cohen or anyone else. Um, it just carries a different, a different weight and a different sense of perception. Absolutely. And your background, and again, you have two degrees, you got a law degree, and I, I love that, so I want to get into that, as I mentioned. But your background, as far as the NBA goes, is, was in analytics. You spent seven years with Toronto, and as you said, you studied the game, and you guys have really built out the robust staff. The Sixers ownership has been really supportive and into that. Kind of explain that, because I know back in the day, you probably had a, you know, the whole eye check and, you know, that thing where the old basketball types didn't really welcome analytics. And I think that obviously has passed, but just, and you were one of the first guys into this sports view, which has become standing standard operating procedure in the NBA. Give us, uh, as lay people, if you will, give us a little look-see into that, how it's evolved over the years and what it is, is today, analytics. Yeah, sure. So I think that it's interesting. I think for most people, sort of Moneyball, uh, both the book by Michael Lewis and then the, the subsequent movie starring Brad Pitt, is sort of the mainstream introduction into, you know, quote unquote, analytics. Um, I've never loved that particular label. To me, it's, 
you know, whether it's a front office or a scouting group or a coaching staff or even players, basketball is this dynamic, you know, vibrant thing. And in this thing, there are so many decisions being made. Those decisions are made based on information, right? I don't think at any level, someone's just, you know, Hey, whatever, you know, whatever moves me emotionally, I'm going to just do that. It's like, no, no, they're all making decisions based on their experiences, based on what they're observing, based on what they're feeling. And I think that the analytics movement really starting in baseball in the eighties, uh, and then kind of diving more into the other main sports more in the nineties and early two thousands really was an effort to, Hey, we have in the advent of computers and the advent of the internet, so much more information, objective information about this thing. Uh, and let's try to apply that to help inform our decisions. And, and as you mentioned, kind of, you know, Josh Harris, David Blitzer, very focused on kind of evidence-based decision-making. Like we're going to make some highly complex, important decisions. Let's make sure those decisions are based on the best possible information. So I would say that, you know, to, to, to the layman, if you will, analytics in sports or anywhere is just a desire to get the best possible information, data, data is the, just another word for information, um, and give that to decision makers in a form that they can digest and make better decisions, hopefully. We'll have more of my conversation with Alex Rucker in a moment. In this time of social distancing, NovaCare Rehabilitation is offering physical therapy from the comfort and safety of your home through their new tele-rehab program. NovaCare will virtually bring their services to you so you may heal, build strength, and get back to the things you love. Telerehab lets you easily connect with one of NovaCare's licensed therapists through web-based technology that is HIPAA compliant. For more information, visit NovaCare.com. Now back to my chat with Alex Rucker of the Sixers front office. Let's jump one step ahead to the players, because when you said dynamic and it's free-flowing, you think of Ben Simmons. I mean, obviously the strength of his game is his incredible athleticism and his ability at times to grab the ball off the defensive glass and run it the length of the floor. So at some point, coach or one of the coaches sits with them and explains, I mean, we all know that threes are better than long twos. We all understand some basic rudimentary elements of analytics. But, you know, I think of an artist when Simmons is flying down the court and he's processing all this information. At some point, somebody sat down, obviously, if he gets to the rim, he gets to the rim. That's the best shot. But you know what I mean? Like, how does it get, how does it get boiled down to the players? So in the flow of the game, the light goes on. Oh, right. I'm supposed to kick it out for a three. How does it actually manifest itself to the players? I know the coaches try to strategize and think what works and whatnot. And there's probably so many layers and layers, but to the point about the players, what would you say there? Yeah. So I I think you're right initially that there's sort of two lanes, right? One is the coaching lane of they're taking this information, they're thinking a lot about it, and they're trying to put a structure in place that puts players in a position to succeed, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what that, whether you're talking strategy, tactics, schemes, or whatever. On the player side, so as I mentioned, we have this kind of robust player development department they're really the primary emissaries at the player level, right? So you'll see before games, each of our players will sit down and do video study with one of our dev coaches, right? And so that's not, you know, 20 years ago, that was a dev coach who had just, you know, done some video editing, grabbed some clips and said, hey, let's look at these. And now I think it's part of a more holistic 
process where Brett and Elton have to kind of determine our team scheme, our team identity, and then that trickles down to the assistant coaches, development coaches. And so there's a collective alignment on, hey, these are the things that, that Ben Simmons or that Furkan Korkmaz or that, you know, Shake Milton or Al Horford should be focused on based on a broad, you know, period of time or even more recently, or in particular tomorrow's opponent or today's opponent. So I think it's using the tools that they're comfortable with and familiar with, which is frankly video and conversation, right? Let's watch something and let's have a shared experience of what this means and what we might do differently or better in that situation. Um, so does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. I trust me. Cause that's when I used to interview the players and now they're with a coach. <laughs> so, Sorry about I'm that. Very, <laughs> I'm very familiar with that. Um, and you have, uh, I think, virtually the facility. It's just an unbelievable basketball facility. And in there, and fans you know, wouldn't be privy to this, but and, and I say this in the best possible way, it's like a basketball factory. And I speak of getting back to the analytics, you, know, you have a staff of whatever it is, eight to ten people working with huge screens. I mean, you would think it's from Wall Street or whatever, and they're in there, and they're all at work, and they're interpreting this information, as you say, the data, by way of example, like the sports view. And for fans that are unaccustomed, that's all these cameras. And again, it didn't exist, but now it does in every single NBA arena. And again, trying to interpret, you know, as just a, a layperson basketball-wide, to me, it looks like Doppler radar. When you see all the dots around the three-point circle, and, and again, there's probably so many things, catch and shoot, um, Tell me a little bit about that, because as I say, you have that staff at work on all of those things. Yeah, so you know, when I kind of first came here to, to the training facility in Camden, like yeah, it's it's as far as I know, kind of the most high tech, most kind of sophisticated basketball, you know, factories. You said, you know, designed to support our program on our players uh, on a day to day basis. So it, it's it's an, an incredible privilege. Honestly, I pinch myself every morning going into work. Um, that like, I get to work there. It, it, it's, it's amazing kind of to work for the Sixers, to work at a place like that, um, to work for a guy like Elton. It's just, this is amazing, right? This dream come true. Now, to, to your question kind of about sport view, yeah, that, that gets back to the whole basketball in the world. It becomes somewhat more sophisticated. So as you said, there are uh, six, you know, high-definition cameras in every NBA arena and now down in Orlando uh, for our games there. And that gives us just an incredible depth of information about what's happening on the basketball court, where everyone is at every point in time was tracked, you know, 35 times per second, where the basketball is at all points in time. Uh, and then you can take that, as you said, kind of once you've got that raw data set, you can then convert that into basketball. This is a catch and shoot. This is a bounce pass. This is a, you know, trap on a pick and roll. You can identify all those sorts of things. And once you've got that layer, then you can convert that into something intuitive to a basketball person, right? We can say this is every single pick and roll that Shake Milton ran. And these are the sorts of coverages, and these are the ones that worked well or didn't work well. So um, that that crew that you mentioned, that group, uh, you know, again, we're, we're very proud of them. It, it is sort of like, you know, being an MIT science club, if you will. Uh, but, yeah, they're able to kind of convert all that massive data uh, in games and even outside in the training environment into something that helps inform decisions. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, you went to Notre Dame, which you got a law degree, which I'm going to get to in a second, but you spent 11 years in the United States Navy. What was that like? What were some of your jobs in the Navy? 
Yep. So uh, I joined the Navy and, and went to officer candidate school. So um, military is kind of split between enlisted and officers. And if you've got a college background, you're, you're eligible to serve as an officer. So uh, I joined actually shortly after 9-11. Uh, for me, that was something of a call to service. Uh, there's a kind of pretty rich military tradition in my family. Uh, and when 9-11 happened, I felt that it was important that I contribute um, some part of my life to my community uh, beyond just doing what I wanted, uh, which was you know, basketball. <laughs> uh, so, you know, served for uh, nearly 11 years. I went in, went to officer candidate school, uh, joined the aviation pipeline to become a naval aviator uh, pilot. So I flew the uh, P-3 Orion uh, for a big chunk of my time in the military. I uh, also had the privilege of serving for three years at the U.S. Naval Academy, uh, where I was a teacher. And then I spent my last two and a half years uh, based in Yokosuka, uh, Japan, serving on admiral staff. So kind of living in Japan, kind of experiencing Japan, Korea, China, Philippines, a uh, little bit of Australia, although not as much as I might have enjoyed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it one of the benefits of the Navy is that you have kind of a core thing being a pilot, uh, but they also put you in positions to uh, expand and grow your leadership in different areas. So I definitely got a, an array of really fascinating experiences. It was definitely hard at times. It's, it's hard as a father, hard as a husband, uh, but the actual lived experience, you, you get a chance to do things that no one gets to do. Um, and you get a chance to interact with people across just such a broad cross section of America. And it really opens your eyes to, Again, learning about how different people's lives, communities are. Wow, fascinating. Thank you for your service. Thank really. you. So, but you grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, which is, you know, obviously they had the Grizzlies uh, when I first started 25 years ago. And I, we all loved going there. It's just, you talk about the sea and the mountains. What a gorgeous place. Give us a little look, see, if you would, uh, to what it was like growing up in Vancouver. Yeah. So, I mean, Vancouver, as you said, it's an amazing, amazing city, you know, kind of nestled there by the ocean, just north of Seattle. Uh, and, you know, you're about a half hour drive to beautiful downhill ski mountains just to the north. Uh, so I think the combination of sort of downhill skiing in the winter and then going to relax on the beach in the summer is fairly unique uh, in, in North America. So, and I also, I think, really enjoyed just the level of multiculturalism and acceptance. I didn't, honestly, it's, it's interesting, though, the kind of the last few weeks with respect to the, the conversation and focus on social justice and racism. Uh, growing up in Vancouver, it wasn't that there wasn't racism or, or kind of community problem, but it was much less uh, present than it is in certain you know, areas of this country. So it was, I think, great for me to grow up in an area where there were large immigrant communities uh, in a really positive and open way. And as you said, like they, when the Grizzlies were there, they were just passionate supporters of that program. And uh, that was kind of a, a fun, you know, few years there as well. So. GM place. I remember talking to my parents, the first place we stayed was a Marriott and it was right on the bay. And as I was looking out the window, a biplane landed. I was like given play by play because it was literally right outside the hotel window. And then years later, the league had meetings there. I went on the Capilano suspension bridge where I took a boat, a ferry across the, the bay, went into mm -hmm. a neighborhood. And then there was this unbelievable bridge that went across the gorge. So, and as you say, Whistler is right there and just awesome, beautiful scenery there. Yep. But your background includes two degrees, one in business at mm -hmm. the University of British Columbia and an education uh, background at Simon Fraser. And, and you say 
that normal is a social fiction. You loved high school. Clearly, you love the interaction, getting challenged, challenging people. Talk a bit about this, uh, you know, this thirst for knowledge and, and a long-lasting uh, drive for education. Yeah, I mean, as you, as you mentioned, I loved high school, right? There was a point where I was like, this is fantastic, right? Like, all I need to care about is going to school, learning stuff, becoming a better person, hanging out with my friends, learning from, you know, wise teachers. Like, that was just such an amazing thing to be a reality of life, right? Um, and then you get to college and it's much more focused, like you're choosing exactly the sorts of things you're going to study. And again, it gets much deeper. Uh, and so I just, I love reading, I love engaging with people intellectually. And that is kind of the, the key environment for that to happen, right? Like that's, when you're at college, that's the only responsibility. You don't have to make money. You don't have to, it's like, literally, that's it. Your job is to learn and engage with really bright people. So whether it was UBC or Simon Fraser or Notre Dame, just and even obviously in the Naval Academy when I was working there as well, these academic institutions have been just such incredible um, environments, landscapes for me to grow and be pushed. And yeah, I, as, as, I, as I've mentioned to you probably, I would, I would have been in school forever, uh, but for the inevitable bankruptcy that would have incurred. So uh, yeah, no, that's, being a lifelong learner is just kind of you know central to who I am, I guess. Right. That, that's so refreshing because I think unfortunately a lot of young people today think of college as it's going to be a great party and i'm going to get a job instead of the actual part of being educated and being more well-rounded and more well-read and uh, learning analytically and, and whatnot but that's my own personal my own personal soapbox there and then you went to notre dame you weren't done you go to south bend and you're getting a law degree you were there during you helped out muffet mcgraw on the women's basketball side there were three men's coaches there uh, finishing with Mike Bray, but Matt Doherty and John McLeod. Uh, what was life like in terms of going to law school at the University of Notre Dame? Yeah, so again, you know, coming from Canada, you know, it was definitely an big experience. South Bend, Indiana uh, is kind of a, a very different place in general. And then Notre Dame itself, you know, kind of a storied Catholic institution. Uh, I will say that you know, I look back on that time as being an incredibly rich intellectual one. Uh, I was honestly surrounded by some of the best, brightest people I've ever encountered in my life, right? Just to be around that caliber of human being uh, was such a, you know, blessing. And just, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Like some of these people that I met there were some of the best, most thoughtful, most caring people I've ever met and really intelligent, really pushing me intellectually. So that, that aspect was fantastic. Um, obviously, being at this kind of big history sporting or, or you know college as well it was fantastic. And as you said, the chance to work with just a diverse array of college coaches on the men and women's side was really formative for me. Um, and I will say that the I've told people, you know, many people, you know, I'm now 45 years old, and the single most challenging thing I've ever done was the first semester of law school, right? Like that. It what was else? such it was such a fire hose of you know yeah. I think everyone goes to law school having enjoyed success academically before that point. And then you really do, you know, just run right into a brick wall and you're learning a new language, right? Like people don't think of law as being, it's a new language. Like when you start reading legal cases, there's a lot of Latin and you, you're literally referencing a translator book as you read through these passages because you don't understand half of the terms. Right. Uh, it's just, right. it's such a, you know, splash of the face of trying to figure out the language and trying to think through things and, the teachers push you really hard. Like, 
it's not basic reading comprehensiveness. What is the reasoning behind it? And how are you defending that using other cases? And it just, it was such a boot camp in, in thinking and writing and research. Um, and in retrospect, it was fantastic. But the first few months, you know, you have this, is this too much for me? Is this beyond me? Uh, there, were, there were definitely those moments of self-doubt. <laughs> well, you mentioned, because uh, you actually, I'm sure you use your law degree all the time, but obviously you're not uh, in, in the courts and not practicing law. Then my father was a lawyer and did the same thing. He ended up being a bank president. But to the point about the Latin, I'm like, well, I should, because he took Latin and uh, years of it. I'm like, I should take Latin. That's the only course I ever dropped. Because <laughs> I was like, 30 minutes in, I go, Father, I need to see after class. And I was out. <laughs> and then I growing up in, as an Irish Catholic young guy in, in the Midwest, Notre Dame was the Mecca. And I, in fact, I went out there for years, uh, like three or four years in a row as a, as a junior high kid and watched the football back when Era Parsegian was, was the head coach. So I definitely yep. have an affinity for, uh, for Notre Dame. But you, you spoke to me about when you got out of law school, you were sitting uh, with a lawyer in San Francisco, and obviously he asked you about your background. And, and this gets to what we just spoke of, the law. But he said, Alex, you don't want to be a lawyer. You go, go pursue basketball. He could sense in you that that was your passion. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it, it was it, – it sounds nice when you say it. So it was actually a job interview with a, you know – person that I've been connected to through Notre Dame. And so I was out, I'd flown out to San Francisco for this job interview. I was in, in my mind, at least thinking this would be an amazing opportunity to get, get a job at this law firm. And he was a partner there. And, and yeah, you know, probably halfway through our lunch together, he's like, yeah, Alex, you, you don't want to be a lawyer. And I'm like, wow, that's a stunning revelation given that I spent three years studying it and I was hoping you'd hire me to be a lawyer. Uh, but no, and then, and they explained as you did it, which is like, it's, it was clear from our conversation that, you know, what I was passionate about, what I really found fulfilling was my time working with the basketball programs while in law school. Uh, and that, you know, he mentioned, he's like, yeah, not, all is not lost. You know, you've got the law degree. And the reality is, as long as you have that, people will think you're smart, whether you are or not. I was like, well, that's reassuring. Uh, so, but I will say that a lot of people that get law degrees, I, I would say that there's a big chunk of my colleagues from law school who initially did go work as lawyers. Uh, and I did too for a year, but, you know, I think it's quite common to go work at a law firm or, or work in public practice for a while and then, you know, delve off, whether it's into management or, or some other form of public service or politics or uh, anything. And, and as I said, I think law school, you don't learn the law so much as you learn reading, writing, research, and thinking, right? Like these just really foundational skills to a, a wide array of disciplines. Right. Case law and whatnot. Interesting. So we're going to close with uh, Canadian basketball because part of your background, obviously, I mentioned the Raptors uh, for seven years, but you work with the U.S. men's team in Canada. And boy, Canadian basketball, I'm kind of prepping a little bit for the Sixers play Oklahoma over the weekend and in another scrimmage. And uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the second-year guard for them, and Barrett, and on Steve Nash, of course on and on and on the way that Canadian basketball has taken off. And clearly the NBA going there 25 years ago has been integral in that transition, but you've seen it all. Isn't that amazing how much that Canadian basketball has taken off and how many players they produced at an extremely high level here in the States and specifically in the NBA? Oh yeah. No, I mean, when I, you know, was born in the seventies and eighties, you know, basketball in Canada wasn't, 
even a fraction of what it's become now. And, and it's interesting because, you know, Vince Carter recently retired. And I, I'm not sure how well understood it is just yep. the depth of impact that, that Vince Carter had during his time with the Raptors. I mean, just the level of excitement and passion for basketball in across the whole country of Canada, with not just Toronto, but the entire country. What Vince did his first few years there in Toronto really did, I think, plant the seed for what we're seeing now, right? And when you talk to guys like, you know, Andrew Wiggins or, as you said, Steve Nash or like any of these guys, they all kind of are aware of the role that he played in their lives, right? Um, and, and especially this kind of younger generation, you said like Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, you know, RJ Barrett, you know, th there's kind of a ton of guys who are coming along now in the NBA um, who are, again, part of that, you know, if you will, that, that, that playing tree that, that, that kind of seeded or was seeded by Vince Carter. So, you know, I think we're, we from Canada are really grateful for what Vince did uh, for the country, for the sport of basketball. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely during, during our lifetime, seeing sort of the extent to which Canada basketball has grown to, to develop these high level NBA players. It's been just so fun, so fascinating, so rewarding to watch. Alex, I can't thank you enough. Great conversation. We wish you the best. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Tom's Talks with me, Tom McGinnis, on the 76ers Podcast Network. Check for new episodes every weekend. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.